Chapter Eight of the Princess and the Ploughman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Princess and the Ploughman by Florence Morris Kingsley. Chapter Eight. He talked to her easily as they walked along, of his home chiefly and of how the Ghent family had lived there for more than a hundred years, since the day of one Hugh Ghent, of early colony fame, who had brought his young English wife from sunny Devonshire into the shadows of the savage primeval forest, and of how they too had loved and suffered, as slowly and painfully they had wrought a home for their brood of little ones. The old stone house, he told her, was built early in the last century by yet another Hugh Ghent, and from him had descended from father to son with many articles of ancient furniture brought from oversea in the holes of english vessels twice it had suffered from fire but both times it had been saved by its owner and each passing generation had left some token of its occupancy about the place thus the rose garden was the legacy of one alice ghent the wife of the second hugh she had pined for the roses of her father's garden and her husband had made for her a rich plot and planted it with roots and slips which he obtained with infinite patience and the expenditure of many a hard-earned shilling and are the roses still there mary asked him yes he told her with quiet pride we have taken care to grow fresh cuttings from time to time from the old stock so that the garden remains very like what it must have been when my great-grandmother made potpourri out of the full-blown roses there is one white climbing rose which the lovely alice planted with her own hands at the doorstep and that is still living and blooming his eyes were upon her listening face as he added it has been the custom for each bridegroom to gather a rose from that bush for his wife as she crosses the threshold of the old house for the first time will you accept one from me mary mary shook her head she would not like me to have one she said who would not like you to have one mary that lovely alice if she knew about me she would say that i had no right to a rose from her bush his grave face brightened into a half-smile. But the bush is mine now, you know. And you, I asked you if you would accept the rose from me. Will you, Mary? She turned her face away from him, so that he could only see her little ear glowing amid the loose curves of her hair. She would not like me to have it, she murmured obstinately. They were in full sight of the old Kent homestead now and so mary saw it for the first time withdrawn a dignified space from the road its ample gray front set with rows upon rows of shining small-paned windows their green shutters thrown wide to the sun and air over the long sweep of the dormered roof tall elms drooped their swaying boughs and the graveled walk leading to the narrow front door was gay with old-fashioned flowers 
peonies phlox and larkspur columbine pansies pinks and rose geraniums he was silent as they passed slowly between the borders her white gown blushing gusts of fragrance from the crowding blossoms they had reached the portico now and the sound of voices reached them from the door set hospitably wide to the summer air just a moment mary he said quietly i wish my mother was here to welcome you to-day but i am the last of my line so you must even cross the threshold of the old gant homestead unwelcomed by kith or kin but i want you to understand this one thing this is your home from henceforth mary you may not care to revisit it after to-day but if the time ever comes when you long for the shelter and peace of home don't forget that you have one deliberately he reached for and plucked a single half-opened rose from the great gnarled bush which shaded the old-fashioned doorway his grave face paling a little as he silently offered it to the girl do you would you like me to have it she stammered his eyes answered her she stretched out her hand for the flower and he took it for an instant in his own then stooped and touched it lightly with his lips welcome home mary he said and lifted his bride lightly across the threshold as had every ghent bridegroom of the vanished generations permelia mechalini was waiting at the foot of the stairway i do welcome you home mrs ghent she said formally will you be pleased to come upstairs to the madam's room mary followed the woman's gentle patter as if in a dream up the quaint winding of the shallow stepped stair guarded by twisted spindles of mahogany to the upper floor with its wide hallway hung with shadowy portraits and set here and there with curious carved settles and massive brass-bound chests this is the madam's chamber said permelia with becoming pride as she softly opened a door all the ladies ghent have slept here in their day mom their children have been born here and here they have died it is a very pleasant sightly room looking out to sea on the east and on the gardens to the south and i hope you will like it master hugh has had me keep it always just as his mother left it but you will change it if you like of course mary glanced about the spacious chamber cool in its snowy draperies of embroidered dimity with a strange flutter in her throat all the ladies ghent seemed watching her with quiet reproach in their soft eyes as she gazed at her reflection in the tall gilt mirror which hung over the mahogany dresser her fingers trembled as she touched her hair into becoming order the roses at her breast were drooping with the heat she removed them and after a moment's hesitation fastened in their place the fresh half-opened bud it is only for to-day she thought the needlework in the room was all done by the late madam permelia macalini was saying in her soft contralto would you be pleased to look at the wreaths on the pillowcases mum and the border and monogram on the linen sheets mary's gray eyes turned obediently to the great white canopied bed with its spotless furnishings 
i cannot sew at all she murmured eh well never mind permelia told her indulgently there is enough and to spare of plenishings plain embroidered about the house but i shall show you it all later mom i have kept everything sacred as you will see but oh be good to master hugh mom he's the last of the family and he's been sad and lonely since his mother went his father died when he was a little lad of course you know we've been hoping father and i that he'd marry these years past but i don't know why he never seemed to care for anything but his books indoors and the sea and the sky and the land outside when he told us yesterday that he was to be married today it was like a clap of thunder to father and me but we're none the less glad mom because it's been so sudden to us she waited respectfully but determinedly for mary's answer it was sudden for me too began mary then stopped short mr ghent will explain everything she stammered i may i come in demanded a soft voice i had begun to think you were never coming down felice sighed mary with wordless relief miss mcelhenny withdrew to the door where she paused to say with smiling dignity you will be feeling hungry miss vivian i am sure refreshments will be served whenever the madam is ready to come down oh mary honey i feel as though i had stepped into a fairy story and i should think you would too isn't this the sweetest old house but wait till you've seen the carved sheraton and spindle-legged chippendale downstairs and the stunning old blue china and the curious bronze jars filled with rose leaves and spices i never dreamed it was like this though i've heard father and mother talk about the place for years mother once tried to buy a mahogany table from mr ghent's mother she said when she came back that she felt about as she would if she had offered to buy the crown of england from queen victoria this was her room said mary unaware of the sigh which accompanied her words i am glad i have seen it i shall like to remember it afterward come we must go down but mary dear you can't mean to leave him now do you mary paused with her hand on the door everything will be just as we have arranged it felice she said coldly he has said so nothing has happened which will change our plans in the least but i have promised to leave explanations to him miss vivian shrugged her slim shoulders in wordless amazement and still her wonder grew and waxed into positive exasperation as she watched the two during the hours that followed the refreshments of which miss mcelhenny had spoken proved to be a dainty luncheon served on priceless old eggshell china pink and white and delicately gilt like apple blossoms and here miss mcelhenny made a pretty ceremonial of seating mary at the head of the table then old andrew mcelhenny at a signal from the host stood up in his place and thanked the lord in a loud voice for marvellous mercies 
which had followed the Ghent family through past generations. He prayed yet more fervently for the new family, which had that day been founded upon the old hearthstone, entreating the gracious favor of the Most High upon the young wife whose hands held the fair promise of the future, and upon her husband, the present head of the house, and upon their children and their children's children, unto the third and fourth generations. The old man's sonorous, Amen, was echoed by the mild little clergyman and his mild little wife. At the conclusion of this quaint epithalamium, Felice Vivian stole a swift glance at the host from under her lashes. He sat in his place, serious and thoughtful, his eyes dwelling on Mary's composed face. How can she be such an iceberg? murmured Miss Vivian, wrathfully. Excuse me, were you speaking to me? chirped the little minister's wife, who sat at her left. Mm, no, that is, I was just admiring this exquisite old china, Mrs. Elder, said Felice, recovering herself with nervous haste. It is elegant, agreed the reverend lady, bending her spectacled gaze upon her plate. But I haven't been able so far to take my eyes off the bride. She is so beautifully calm and self-possessed. Is she a particular friend of yours, Miss Vivian? I have known her for several years. And where, pray, did she first meet her husband? Blandly inquired Mrs. Elder. I always like to know the history of every wedding Mr. Elder and I attend, professionally, you know, and of course we attend a great many. Mr. Elder is very popular among the young people. They frequently come from other parishes to the parsonage to be married. I have an orange tree which blossoms in the winter, which I bought with one of my wedding fees. Perhaps you didn't know that the clergyman's wife is always entitled to the fees. Yes, indeed. I quite count on my little income from that source. Last year I bought all the children's stockings with them. Felice murmured polite interest in these artless revelations. I am so romantic, continued Mrs. Elder confidentially. Why, do you know, I have made it a point for years to keep a wedding souvenir book with the names and dates and a piece of the bride's gown, a flower from her bouquet, and any little facts relating to their courtship which I can gather. I find I can always entertain a wedding party in that awkward pause just after the ceremony you know or at a ladies sewing society or a regular church social with my book people are invariably interested in anything pertaining to courtship and marriage what is that sweet quotation about all the world being fond of engaged people i never could remember poetical quotations though mr elder does in the most wonderful way he finds it exceedingly useful in his pulpit work perhaps you mean all the world loves a lover quoted felice hastily anticipating the dawn of a fresh inquiry in the lady's wandering gaze oh yes that is it and a beautiful saying it is too and so true i am just as fond of love stories and romances as a young girl though you might not think it and for that matter 
there are love stories in the bible as of course you know my dear now take solomon's song for example it always seemed to me that it wasn't meant to be entirely figurative what do you think miss vivian felice confessed that she had not deeply considered the matter of late whereupon mrs elder urgently advised her to do so it is really an exquisite love poem i've always thought and mr elder tells me that the more advanced critics are coming round to my point of view the little lady drew up her plump figure with gentle pride as she helped herself to jellied chicken delicious isn't it she twittered comfortably now if you don't mind as the only bridesmaid you know just telling me a little about this sweet simple wedding for my book a wreath of orange buds i call it don't you think it's a pretty idea for a clergyman's wife indeed yes agreed felice dimpling with impish mischief but why not ask the bride it would be so much more romantic to get the facts from her so it would my dear and thank you for suggesting it see she is about to cut that great white cake which miss mcelhinney has just brought in a regular bride's cake isn't it i will wait till she has finished and then perhaps you had better wait till after luncheon suggested felice with tardy contrition but the minister's little wife was not to be deterred from her romantic quest dear mrs ghent she began smilingly would you mind giving me a few particulars relating to your courtship nothing sacred my dear of course i understand all about that but merely the date of your engagement and where it took place and a few items of that sort for my memory book you know i have brought it with me to show you all and after luncheon when mr elder has finished filling out the marriage certificate and everything is signed sealed and delivered it will be my turn i shall want the autographs of those present and later my dear if you would give me a scrap of that sweet white dress and a flower from your bouquet i remember now you didn't carry a regular made bouquet at the ceremony but that lovely half-opened bud you are wearing will do quite as well i may beg that one mayn't i mary's startled eyes sought her husband's face her hands instinctively closing over the rose upon her breast not this she stammered i my wife said hugh Gant quietly wishes to keep the rose she is wearing for her own memory book but she will be most happy to give you a flower he arose deliberately and lifting the great bowl of blossoms from its place in the centre of the table held it low for mary's choosing oh breathed felice understandingly and leaned forward in her chair to look with the rest at the pretty picture of the man the maid and the roses he walked with them in the sober light of the late afternoon as far as the hedge which separated his own meadows from dr vivian's sloping lawn i will leave you here he said felice vivian stopped short very well then i will bid you good-bye she said crisply i've had a beautiful day he bowed low over her little hand she almost snatched it from him in her haste to be gone good-bye she repeated 
with a gurgle of low laughter and darting through a narrow opening in the hedge disappeared like a wood nymph mary had stopped too and was looking in a vaguely troubled way at the sky covered with myriads of soft round clouds hurrying in from the sea like flocks of frightened sheep at the saddened landscape at the trees turning the silver of their leaves to the fitful wind good-bye she sighed his eyes were upon her face it doesn't seem quite grateful to me she added after a long pause and yet the gratitude is mine mary he interrupted i thank you for this day she seemed to be considering his answer after a while she sighed again and again her troubled eyes wandered away to the quiet landscape beyond i feel she said slowly as though i had been dreaming and were trying to awaken it is very strange he saw that her face was quivering like that of a frightened child you are tired mary he said cheerfully i must not keep you standing here longer good-bye she watched him wistfully as he went away then she turned and followed felice whose white dress fluttered among the groups of distant shrubbery she was dimly unhappy and her throat ached as if from suppressed sobbing after a little she stopped and looked back across the meadows shading her eyes with her hand against the shaft of sunlight that pricked the hurrying gray clouds overhead he was still in sight walking swiftly with bent head now he had reached the open bars and now he had turned he saw her standing there on the green hillside and lifted his hat in mute token of farewell tears rushed to mary's eyes and fell down her cheeks like warm rain why am i crying she asked herself wonderingly but though she could not understand her tears they kept on flowing they were pleasant tears quite unlike any she had ever shed before and so weeping softly but without pretense of sorrow she came to dr vivian's house and in due course to her own room where she wept her wondering fill in the comforting silence End of chapter 8 Recording by John Brandon